My name is Daisy Richardson. I'm the community advocate here at Hillcrest, which means I have the best job because I get to connect our church to needs in the community of Moose Jaw, and I love it. And um, I don't often stand up here, but I'm excited to be up here this morning with you. If you've been tracking with us for the last few weeks, or maybe you've been following along on the podcast, you'll know that we're in the, right in the beginning of a series called Holy and Whole. And we're basing this off of 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Let's read that. And I'm reading it from the message. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he will do it. So in the first week of the series, Steve talked about the emotional immaturity in the church, how sometimes we're just a little bit surprised at the lack of change over time. He talked about the lives of Saul and David, how Saul refused to confess his sins, resisted becoming emotionally whole, and was just pursuing his own fame and glory. And then David was a man after God's own heart. Steve talked about how we need to move from a focus on ourselves to an overwhelming desire to praise him, realizing that we are not the heroes of our own story. We talked about confessing confessing our sins and becoming emotionally whole, how spiritual maturity and emotional health are inseparable. That was the first week. The second week, we talked about being armed, how our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We looked at Ephesians 6. We talked about how the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, John 10.10, and some of the weapons that he tries to use, deception, temptation, strongholds. Two of the weapons that Steve talked about that we use, just in case you're wondering, they're not all being rude. There's a class right now if you're visiting. There's a class for the preteens, early teens. He talked about two weapons that we can use to come up against this stealing, killing, and destroying. And the first one was confessing our sins one to another. We talked about that from James. And then praying for one another to be healed. And we talked about how um, we're not in this battle alone. In fact, we are soldiers on the same side in the war. And that it's not supposed to be a lonely fight. It's supposed to be something that we do together. So that catches you up on weeks one and two. And so we're moving into week three, and we're going to talk about being clean. Ooh, clean. I wonder if the cleaners got that spot out. Oh, I don't know. You never know what's going to come back from them. Special occasions need special. Oh, they did. Look at that. Wow, it's going to be a great day. You know, every time that I get ready for a special occasion like this, I remember the very first time that I came to the palace. I was so nervous, so nervous. I had been hired for a new position. This was my chance. I had been hired to be the secretary to the king. I remember in my nervousness practicing how I would introduce myself. Your majesty, Chafin, at your service. No, that's too stiff. Your royal highness. No, that's too flowy. Um... Chafin, at your service. Well, the time had finally come, and I was led into the palace to meet the king for the very first time. 
I knew it wasn't going to be easy. This palace was a tough place to work. In fact, the last couple of kings had been pretty terrible bosses, but I was going to show them this was my chance to prove what I was made of. Here we go. Your Majesty, Shafe, and at your service. I'm your secretary? Your Majesty? There was no one on the throne. Is this some sort of a test, some sort of a joke? This is awkward. And then all of a sudden I heard, what was that sound? It was like crying. And I looked over and sure enough, there beside the throne, on the ground, was a little boy crying. Your majesty, oh man, the king was a little kid. This is not what I signed up for, some glorified babysitting job. Oh, but it was true. King Josiah had been thrust onto the throne when he was only eight years old, when his father was murdered by his only own officials. We're not supposed to talk about that. So there I was, secretary to the king. Well, Josiah was young, but he actually proved to be quite bright, and he was very teachable and eager to learn. So the high priest Hilkiah and myself, we commissioned the teachers to come and teach him and raise him up into a king that we could follow. And some years passed, Things were going okay, and all of a sudden something changed. Something was different with King Josiah. He had started to seek the God of King David, and as he did, our work piled high. There was something new across my desk every week. Tear down this idol, destroy that pole, purge this, clean that, and on and on and on. Josiah had set out to clean up the kingdom, the mess that his grandfather and father had left for him. We were so busy. And the more that Josiah sought the God of David, the more work we had to do. Years went by, on and on. All of a sudden, the big job came. This was it. Orders came across my desk. Work with Hilkiah the priest. We're going to clean up God's temple. Whoa, that was a big job. Nobody had touched that for a long time. It was a disaster. So we, we issued the orders, and the work started. One day, the king sent me to take the payment for the workers at the temple and uh, to speak with Hilkiah and check up and see how things were going. So off I went. I hadn't been there since the construction had started. Whoa, is it ever a mess? Uh, Hilkiah, I'm here with, uh, I've got the money for the workers. Hilkiah? Where is this guy? Oh, from a back corner back there, I hear this voice. Shaven over here. What in the world? In some back closet. Um, I brought the money for the workers. Well, Hilkiah didn't even care about the money. He was all distracted by some dusty old thing that he'd found, and he said, that's fine, that's fine. Here, take this. And he handed me something. I was like, well, what is it? Well, just go take it to the king, he said. All right, so I went back to King Josiah to report. And I said, you'll be very happy, King Josiah. Hilkiah the priest is doing a wonderful job supervising the cleaning of the temple, and uh, they've all been paid, and by the way, he sent you this. Well, I don't know what it is. What do you mean? Okay, I'll read it. <laughs> we opened it up. It was a scroll. Oh, I can read this. And I started to read and read and read. And the more I read, the paler King Josiah became. What we were reading was God's covenant to his people. How long had it been since we'd ever even seen this? 
on and on and on it went. By the time I read the last word, King Josiah had torn his robes. He was weeping on the floor. He said, what will we do? What will we do? Surely God's wrath is on us. We have disobeyed everything. What will we do? He said, quick, go take the priest Hilkiah. Go and talk to God's messenger, Huldah, the prophetess. She'll know what to do. So off we went. We found Huldah. We explained the situation. We told her about the scroll and the renovations and everything. And she said she would listen and see what God said. And this is what she told us. She said, well, King Josiah is right. God is angry. He has seen everything that his people have done. And he will not let that go unpunished. Oh, man, that's not the kind of message you want to take back to the king. But, but, Huldah said, but, tell Josiah, because his heart was responsive, the Lord has heard him. Because he humbled himself and he cried out to God, he is going to spare him in this generation. Okay, I can take that message back. And away we went. We told King Josiah, there's bad news, but there's good news. The bad news is you're right. Destruction is coming. The good news is you did the right thing. God saw you and he heard you and he's gonna spare you from what's coming. King Josiah didn't waste any time. He summoned every man, woman, and child in the whole city of Jerusalem. He said, come, they have to hear this too. And that day we stood side by side with the king as we had the covenant of God read before the people. And King Josiah said, today I pledge myself to renew this covenant with God. Do you pledge so too? And we all said, yes, we do. And everything changed. What an amazing day that was. What an amazing day. An amazing day. Well, today's an amazing day too, because today for the very first time in 400 years, we are going to celebrate the Passover like it hasn't been celebrated since the time of the prophet Samuel. And I'm not going to miss it. I love the story of Josiah. Steve had it on his scratch board. And I said, I'll take that one. You can read the whole story of King Josiah and his wicked father and grandfather in 2 Chronicles 33. That's the really good one. You can also read about it in 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 23, 25 sums it up like this. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart and with all of his soul and with all of his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. Never before and never after. Let me give you a little bit of the context. Steve started off, us off with Saul and David. Well, David was a man after God's own heart, and he was a truly different kind of king than Saul had been. Saul was the very first king. They were just starting this off. By the time Josiah comes along, we're way down the road. As the kingdom passed from David to his son Solomon, things started to change. Solomon was known for his great wisdom and for building the temple of God, but towards the end of his life, he opened a door for idol worship in Israel. He had married all these foreign women for political alliances and, and whatnot, and he just allowed them to bring their pagan practices, and he participated too. So things were never the same after that. The kings after that were both bad kings, and they ended up in a giant fight, and they destroyed the kingdom and split it. The northern kingdom, Israel, and the southern kingdom, Judah. And then there starts this crazy cycle of kings. The northern kingdom never had a good king again, ever. They were all bad, 100%. The southern kingdom, which included the city of Jerusalem in Judah, was kind of back and forth, back and forth. The, the bad kings still outnumbered the good kings by far. So why does Josiah stand out? 
Well, Josiah was the last good king before they were whisked off into the Babylonian captivity. He wasn't the last king. There were a few more bad ones after that. But even before him historically, when there had been good kings, bad king, bad king, good king, good king, bad king, bad king, good king, then the good kings, they did good things, but there was something that they always ignored. They never dealt with the high places. The high places were the places where idol worship happened, where altars to Baal and poles to Asherah and who knows what else happened. The good kings made good choices. They just turned a blind eye to what, that, what was going on there. But Josiah purged all of those places and dealt very severely, severely with idolatry. Now, popular culture would probably tell you Josiah was a good king because he was a little boy and he was so innocent and so good because he hadn't done anything wrong yet like his dad and his grandpa. Well, you can believe that if you believe that sin is only acts we commit and not a fallen nature that we possess. That's the biblical view, by the way. So Josiah didn't just do good things, but he sought God. That's why why he stood out. He sought God, and he committed himself back into this covenant relationship that God had established, where God had said, I will be your God. You will be my people. We're going to show the world how holy I am and how how I deal with my people with, with love and justice. So if we're only thinking about sin as acts we commit, we're missing part of it. I like Oswald, Oswald Chambers. Some of you are familiar with some of his books. He puts it this way. Sin is a fundamental relationship. It is not wrongdoing, but wrong being. It is the deliberate and determined independence from God. Other faiths deal with sins. The Bible alone deals with sin. The revealed truth of the Bible is not that Jesus Christ took on himself our fleshly sins, but that he took on himself the heredity of sin that no man can even touch. Jesus Christ reconciled the human race, putting it back to where God designed it to be. And now anyone can experience that reconciliation, being brought into oneness with God on the basis of what our Lord has done on the cross. A man cannot redeem himself. Redemption is the work of God and is absolutely finished and complete. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Josiah was already doing good things before they discovered that book of the covenant that had been lost in a back room. I believe that was what was so impacting when they found that book and read it was not so much the discovery that they had been doing wrong before. I think they were recognizing that. When child sacrifice is reintroduced into your nation, someone's going to say, are you sure this is, a, this is okay? It was pretty obvious that, that there had been wrongdoing, so they were taking care of that. But what was the revelation that came in that was that they were out of relationship with God. But how do you have a relationship with a holy God? You know, I've never really thought of myself as short. I am the shortest in my family. I'm only 5'5 five, five and a little bit. But I grew up in Latin America, and so I was tall down there. And you come to Canada, and there's many people that are taller than myself. I had a roommate once, and she was six foot. And uh, so if I couldn't reach anything, she could always reach it. Um, in fact, she would clean the top of the fridge, which I didn't even know existed because I couldn't see up there. <laughs> but uh, I still find myself reaching for things that I can't. I'm not quite, I'm not quite tall enough to reach it. 
which actually makes me curious. I wonder who the tallest person in this room would be today. It's okay, you can brag. You can, you can give your driver's license height. Does anybody 6'3"? Any hands? 6'3"? More? 6'4"? 6'4"? I have a 6'4". Do I have a 6'5"? I have a 6'5"? Do I have a 6'6"? Oh, come up here, 6'5". That's a full foot taller than me. Come up, Kyle. Wow. All right. So... We've got a, whoa, a foot between us. (laughs) So if I can't reach something, I bet you can reach it, right? Well, it's not taller than I need to get. (laughs) All right. You're going to help me though, right? Yep. Okay. There's this red balloon. It's been stuck up there for months. We can't get it down, but I can't reach it, but I bet you can. Can you just pull that down for me, please? Uh, Where's Doug? He's got like one of those forklifts. Oh, Oh. what if you just were a few inches more? Tippy toes? Maybe. No. (laughs) So could we agree that without a forklift or a jetpack, maybe, maybe even somebody who's seven feet can't reach that? No. We could yurtle the turtle. It. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Kyle. <laughs> Sorry, the balloon's still stuck. When we think about God's holiness compared to ourselves, in theory, we know God is way, way up there. He's holy. And I fall short. But actually, in our own self-righteousness, sometimes we think, I just need one more inch. I'm almost there. But it wouldn't matter if Kyle was two or three or four feet taller than me. He still was not humanly going to be able to reach that. And we fall short. It doesn't matter if it's a little short or a lot short. We fall short on our own righteousness. We don't see that there's such a big gap. It's really easy to think, I'm a pretty good person. I'm not hurting anyone. The news headlines last week were very disturbing, of course, and I'm sure that you've all read and seen lots on the news about the Las Vegas shooting. On Monday, when I saw the headline at first, I found myself scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. I thought, what was I doing? I was scrolling. I wanted to see the name and the picture of the shooter. Well, that's a strange reaction. I have to tell you, I was a little bit relieved, I will confess. I was relieved that it was a white guy in his 60s who was an American citizen. Why? Well, our media is really good at convincing us that evil has a face, a specific face. No matter where in the world we live, it's someone else's, the other. It has a face. It doesn't look like this face. I was afraid this was another story that was would end up that direction. Look at what they out there have done. We see news stories like that, tragic and horrific. I think if we're honest, a little part of ourselves says, but I would never, I would never, could never, would never go there. And, and maybe some people say, you know, but for the grace of God, there go I. Maybe you understand what that really means, and you can say that honestly. But I, do people really believe that when they say it? Most people, they think, there's enough goodness in me. I would never actually go down that path of evil. You know what? The law of God comes and came, even Josiah's time, to reveal God's holiness and dispel our self-righteousness. That self-centeredness that says, I'm still pretty good. I didn't do that. 
The law is a leveling ground that shows us that actually none of us can live up to his holiness because somewhere in that law, there will be something that reveals where I fall short. If we didn't have the law, we couldn't understand our desperate need for our Savior. And once we do understand that, we see that sin does not have a face that is different from the one that I see in the mirror each day. It's no respecter of country, of origin, of political views, of age, of upbringing, of gender, you name it, we're all tainted. There's a story that's told that years ago, the New York Times posed a question to its readers. What's wrong with the world? The Catholic thinker G.K. Chesterton wrote this response. Dear sirs, I am. Sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. That's someone, the attitude of someone who's grasped the message of Jesus. Because none of us is without fault. We see God's impossible holiness, impossible for us to um, attain to. We see how wide the gap is between him and me. And we can appreciate what had to happen in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to bridge that gap and restore us into relationship that was impossible before that time. Because no matter how far, far short we fall, we fall short. Let's read from Romans 5. This is the very end of, the chap- of chapter 5 and into chapter 6. This is what it says. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God's grace can be shown more and more? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Jesus Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we may also live new lives. So the solution to the gap in Josiah's time was this covenant between God and his people, the old covenant in the Old Testament, that's what it is. But in our time, there's a new covenant, and it's not just a book with do and don't to keep things okay. It's a relationship. The author of Hebrews talks about how Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant in Hebrews 7. By dying on the cross and paying for our sin, Jesus made a way for us not to be destroyed by God's holiness, but to be transformed by it. So in light of this, being clean is not about following the right set of rules and rituals. It's about walking in right relationship with a holy God. So let's talk a little bit about that. How can we be clean? Jesus deals with our position before God, restoring that relationship. Okay, I get that part. So I'm following Jesus, and I know that God sees me through Christ's sacrifice and his righteousness, but I still sin. What about sinful 
actions and attitudes in my own heart as I'm following him. 1 Peter 1.15 says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. That's a really tall order. How can I be holy in all I do? Well, the good news is the answer is not try harder. It's not about our good deeds outweighing our bad deeds. Nope. Let's look back at King Josiah because there were three things that he did that I think we can learn from. The first one, he was responsive. Second Chronicles 34, 27 says, this was the message that came through the prophetess to Josiah, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people. And because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. He had a responsive heart. He didn't just recognize that wrong had happened his own committing and others, and just leave it. His heart was moved to respond. Sometimes when we have communion together, um, we read from 1 Corinthians 11, and there is a little part line in there that says, examine yourselves. And sometimes we'll be led in a, a little moment where we examine our hearts and think, Lord, is there something that I need to um, make right? Is there a relationship I need to make right? Examine ourselves. Don't leave sin unattended to rot inside yourself. We've had a great tool for this um, in this series, and we'll pull this out at the end, but you might have a holy and whole bookmark. And if you don't, there might be one in the bench in front of you. Um, it's been a great little tool to just walk us through some of the thinking, what, what do I do if my heart is responding to God's prompting that there's something, there's sin in my life? How do I examine my heart? Now, it's easier for us to examine sinful actions, isn't it? Because those are obvious. Well, you know, murder, lying, stealing, and that's the ones that are easy to like, nope, 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 haven't done those. Whew, I'm good. Well, there are some not so obvious sinful actions. What about gossip? What about breaking promises? What about acts of rebellion? I think those all qualify. But those are more obvious, and usually if we think, I need to confess something to God, my mind anyways goes to the checklist. Oh, it didn't do that, didn't do that. What about sinful attitudes? Those ones are a lot harder for others to recognize in us. Sometimes they'll see how it's leaking, but it's really easy. There can be a lot of sinful attitude rot happening inside of our own hearts. What about anger? What about pride, greed, apathy, people-pleasing instead of God-pleasing, complaining, hate, revenge? All those things can be churning inside us, and the outside world doesn't see a bit of it. It's pretty easy for it to just go under the radar. I would encourage you, be responsive. If God puts his finger on something like that, be responsive to him. Well, what's the next step? Okay, so I'm responsive. I'm saying, okay, yes, you're putting your finger on this and something needs to happen. The second thing that Josiah did, he, was re he repented and received forgiveness. Repent and receive forgiveness. 2 Kings 23, 25 says, we read it before. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. Do you know that repenting is not the same thing as admitting it? I can admit, oh man, was I ever angry, and I can think, and 
I'm not the least bit sorry for it. That's just admitting it. It's like your kids, oftentimes, they'll just admit. They'll finally, okay, okay, I did it. They're not sorry. I can admit it without any remorse or regret. But Josiah didn't just admit it. He turned to the Lord. That's the repenting. He turned to the Lord. Not just a recognizing something's wrong here, but an actual turning away from that to Christ. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you've been through set free, you probably have this memorized. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember the first time that we, some of our staff, we went, we went through set free weekend to learn about confession and everything. And I was talking with Karen McNaughton afterwards and she's like, it just doesn't get old. She's like, every single time we say it. We have to say it again. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't ever get old. Steve talked a few weeks ago about this not being a solo thing, that this is a team effort, that we're soldiers on the same battle and there's value in confessing to another person. I encourage you to go back and listen to those first two messages if you haven't. Um, they're, They're online on the podcast. Whoa, confessing to another person. That's, uh, why? Why? I'm okay with this. I will confess to the Lord. He's put his finger on something. I will repent. I will confess. I will receive forgiveness from him. That's good, right? Well, it is good. Let's talk a little bit about confessing, though. What is confession? Well, it's a statement where somebody admits, they acknowledge their guilt in the commission of a crime, if you want to be all technical about it. Do you know that forgiveness is a legal transaction? That my sin is taken, the consequences and guilt for my sin is taken, and is passed over to Christ's account. There's a transaction there that happens that frees me from it and gives him the cost of it. It's like a legal transaction for your sin debt. Do you know that there's quite a few things um, that we do just in our daily life and in our world that require witnesses. So let's say maybe it's a mortgage or maybe it's a will. You have to get somebody to sign off on it, right? And what are they doing? That person who's witnessing a legal document is just saying, they're verifying that you're actually the person, the signature on the paper belongs to the person who goes by that name. It's one and the same. If they're, they're protecting against forgery is what they're doing. So if a question regarding that will, for example, ever came up, um, the, whoever witnessed it could be called into court to, to attest. They're an attesting witness to say, yes, indeed, I saw them. It was that person. That is their signature. I was present when it happened. So here's the power of a witness when it comes to sin and confession. If I confess my sin directly to God, does he hear me? Yes. Does he forgive me? Yes. But we know that the enemy out there who is determined to steal and kill and destroy is going to come and try to plant a lie. And he's going to come with me with the question, was it really taken care of? Did God really forgive you for that? And he might, and maybe I'll say, yes, actually he did. But maybe that question might be just enough for me to think, you're right. Here we go again. Now, If I've confessed my sin to another person who's also a follower of Jesus, I have a witness. 
the next time the enemy comes and says, well, did he really forgive you? Actually, yes, he did. It was a legal transaction, and this is my friend. She witnessed it. She was there. She remembers when it happened. She walked me through it. If you're struggling with something over and over and over again, and you've been confessing it to God, and you feel like you keep going back to it, but I just don't think it's dealt with, let me encourage you, confess it to someone you trust who also loves Jesus. Maybe you need that witnessing presence to just say, actually, it was dealt with, and you've just been buying into his lie that's telling you, well, I don't know if it was. Did God really say that? Oh, we've heard that before. I think, look back to the first book of the Bible. Did God really say that's the power of a witness and confession. So I'm going to shift gears for just a moment and just throw this in here because it's in the story, in Josiah's story. What about those sins of the father and the grandfather? In week one, Steve talked about how our families are all dysfunctional at some level. That's a great Thanksgiving weekend message. <laughs> We're headed to my in-laws after this. Um, our lives, he said this, our lives are marked by the consequences of the disobedience of our first parents. That was Steve. So Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, he was the worst king of Judah. Not just a bad king, he was the worst king ever. He did what was evil in the sight of God. He followed pagan practices. He built altars to Baal. Asherah poles built um, pagan altars in God's temple. That's what they were cleaning up. He sacrificed his own son and reinstituted child sacrifice, practiced sorcery and divination, consulted mediums and psychics, and murdered innocent people. There's quite the resume for you. So that was Grandpa. Josiah's father, Ammon, he also did evil. He just had a much shorter life to prove how bad he was, because after two years of being king, his own officials assassinated him because they'd had enough. So maybe you're saying, I can't help my struggle with fill in the blank, anger, apathy, greed, complaining, because my family was like this. It's just the way my family is. Steve was talking about how our, we all think our own little dysfunction is normal, and then when you get married, then you, the, the normals <laughs> decline, right? And you start to realize maybe it's not all that normal. Maybe I can't, I, I just am always going to struggle with it because it's something in my family. We're just like that. Do you know that you actually have the opportunity to be the first generation to change that? That's what Josiah did. God gives us the authority to cut off those ties to generational sin and curses and to be fr live free from them. Every generation has to choose to follow. And in fact, that's the other part of the story. The next generation after Josiah didn't follow. His sons and the next, I think there was about four more bad kings quickly in a row after him. They didn't, and I'll throw in my two cents on that. I think from reading the story, I think what happened is Josiah's heart truly turned. He sought God, and his people just followed because he was the king. Once your leader's back to doing, you get a new leader back, they're back to doing evil, well, you just follow them because they're the king. Their hearts maybe hadn't turned like his had. We are affected by the sins of previous generations, and we can influence the Next, our own generation and the next generation, but every generation has to make the choice to be clean and holy and walk in relationship. It's not just, doesn't just happen and now we're good. It's an ongoing process. So Josiah was responsive. He repented and he received forgiveness. What was the last thing, the third thing 
How about obey? We don't like that word so much. Somebody talked about that the other day. It's probably Steve. We just don't use that one. It feels awkward in public to say to your child, you're not obeying, right? People are all like, yeah. Obey. Choose daily to walk with a clean heart. It's like hit. Do step one, be responsive, do step two, confess and receive forgiveness, and then repeat, right? Because we want to walk daily in holiness. There might be a big question in your mind. You might be saying, okay, if my position before God has really been made right through Jesus Christ, why do I even have to bother with all this daily stuff? I'm already going to heaven. It just seems like more hassle than it's worth. And the final thing we'll talk about, why should we be clean? Why should we even go down this road? He's already saved us. He's reconciled us to God. Well, the first reason, how about peace with God? How about peace with God on a daily basis? Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Wouldn't it be wonderful to walk with peace with him every day, not in anxiety and fear or just distraction? Which is the second one. Why should we be clean? Because sin distracts us from hearing and from obeying. We're too busy off on this direction. If you have had a toddler who's bent on doing their own thing, you understand this. They're bent off getting into trouble over here. Are they listening? No. Do they hear you? No. Are they anywhere inclined to obey what you're about to say? No. They're just consumed with what they're doing. If we're not dealing with our own hearts on a regular basis, keeping this relationship with God, um, keeping peace with God, we're just distracted. We're not hearing his voice. You might be saying, well, he just never answers me. Well, maybe you're not listening. Maybe you're distracted. Maybe something in your heart is distracting you. And maybe you're not obeying what he's told you in the first place, and he's just waiting till you obey. The third thing is that sin affects the whole body, not just me. Wholeness is not just individualistic. We do experience wholeness as an individual, but it's far greater than my personal experience. Did you know that last week was World Breastfeeding Week? Oh yes, I'm gonna go here. We don't, we don't all relate to sports analogies, so I'm throwing this one in. Steve can listen to it on the podcast. It was World Breastfeeding Week. Um, why do I mention that? Well, probably many of you, at some point in your life, you've avoided some food or another because it just upsets your stomach, or the doctor told you don't have anything deep fried, or you know that caffeine keeps you up till way past bedtime and you just don't want to deal with it. So you're very good and you don't, you don't have those things. But then there comes a moment of weakness. You're at the fair and they have the deep fried, like, what are those? Like the strudely donut things? with the sprinkles on top, those things, those. <laughs> and you're just like, you know what? I know I'm not supposed to, and I know I will suffer later, but I will just pay the consequences this one time. So you have it, and you do suffer later. Well, that's the way it goes. Well, when our second child was born, he was the gassiest baby in the world, and he was just sensitive to everything, and I was breastfeeding him and determined to do so. And Half the stuff I was eating was just making this kid be in agony. And so I had this giant list of things I had to cut out. It 
was everything. It was dairy, it was eggs, it was wheat, it was nuts, it was legumes, it was like, I think there was eight things on the list. What was left? Not much. Well, whereas before, if I was just doing this for myself, sometimes I'd be like, well, maybe I'll have a little bit of this. No, I did not cheat and have a little bit of this because if I did, I went home and my child was in agony. His stomach went crazy. I remember going to Regina one time and we were out shopping or something. We just had to grab something to eat on the fly and I thought what I was eating was okay um, because I'd eaten the same thing at another restaurant and I'd looked it up. But then when we got home and he was just in agony that night and I'm on there late at night googling what's in their fries oh they coated the whole thing in wheat it was just like I felt so bad and I saw the effects really quite quickly on his little body I think if we really understood the seriousness of our own sin we would be highly motivated to deal with it for the sake of the body of Christ because it doesn't just affect me it's not just that well I'm the only one who's going to have the upset stomach later. No, it's a body. You've got infection raging in one part of your body. Some other part of your body is going to notice and be affected. It's not just about you. It's not just about me. So you know that verse in John 10.10 that we keep quoting about the thief that comes to steal and kill and destroy. Do you know what the second part of that verse is? Jesus came to give us life and life in abundance. Not just heaven for eternity, but life in abundance while we walk with him in relationship. Isn't that a reason to be clean in our relationship with him? Abundant life now, not just waiting, biding till later. We're going to move into a little bit of reflection time. I'll invite the worship team to come back up. You don't have to play anything yet. Just You can move right now. As you move, if you have one of these bookmarks, pull it out, or there might be one on the bench in front of you, or we'll put it up on the screen too. Um, this is our chance. I'm just going to start by reading it to you, then we'll talk a little bit about it. Now's the time. This is our health check. Now is the time for honest and heartfelt evaluation of what I need to add and what I need to lose. Thoughts I need to take captive, truth I need to meditate on, help I need to seek, and healing I need to receive. Maybe there's something that God has put his finger on in your own heart that you said, actually, yeah, I know I need to confess this. Don't walk out of this room without having done that. We're gonna take a couple minutes here, and you you can do that with the Lord. Maybe it's a call back to something from long ago. Maybe it's like that hidden book in the back of the um, temple. You knew it once, but you weren't walking in it. Maybe there's a call back there. Maybe there's a truth you need to meditate on. Maybe you're a note taker and there was one verse that just jumped out at you and you just need to take a moment to meditate on that and ask the Lord, what do you want to say to me from this truth? Maybe it's a call to thankfulness and gratitude to Christ for the sacrifice and the extent of forgiveness that you've received because you're very aware that he has forgiven you. So we're just going to take a moment here. Don't be weirded out by silence. And we're just going to ask, is there anything I need to confess, make right? Is there anything you want to say to me? So I would invite you to do that with me now.
Father, we thank you that when we come and we confess our sins, you are faithful and you are just. And you do forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we just submit these things to you in Jesus' name. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for the peace that we can walk in with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you recognize that you aren't in a relationship with God. You actually haven't even started that journey. Well, today could be the day you do. Romans 10 tells us that if we confess with our mouth, it's another kind of confession, Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, that we will be saved. It's a simple prayer to start a long journey in relationship with him. If that's you this morning, we would love to pray with you. There are those who have come just ready to pray this morning. And we're going to pray a prayer together. But then, if you'd like someone to actually pray with you, maybe there's someone sitting beside you that you came with. Maybe they're a family member. You know that they're following Jesus. Talk with them. Or there'd be others that would love to pray with you as well. I want to pray 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, our theme verse. I want to pray that over us. And then the worship team is going to um, lead us in, in one more song. Um, may, the, may God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ. You are the one who has called us, and you are completely dependable. You've said it, and we know that you can do it. So we submit ourselves to you in Jesus' name. Amen. i